We learned this morning that the great reward for the Christian is that we will see God face to face. I hope that you all were blessed with that sermon as I was preparing it. When we say that we see God face to face, it's just a quick review. It simply means that our minds are elevated to know God in a way in which we do not and cannot know him here on earth. And also our wills are inflamed to love God in a way in which we cannot and do not here on earth. This is what theologians call the beatific vision. This is the happy life that we all desire and we all, by God's grace, are moving toward. Again, let me reiterate, saints of God, all of what I'm saying, especially in the morning, and what will be yours, will most assuredly be yours. Take comfort in that fact. That's why I started off talking about politics and those from the right and the left coming together and debating the future of America. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, but things never really change. Here I'm saying to you on the authority of God's word that one day things will change. And change, you could say the final and most perfect change, will only come about when you die. And when you see God face to face. That is the great promise from God to the Christian. The question that's left behind or left on the table is simply this. What is the result of this great vision? What is the result of this great vision? Is it just that we receive a perfect knowledge of God and that's it? Is that it? That our minds have been raised to know God better than we could in this life, but that's all. I'm now smarter than I was here on earth. I now know God better than I did on earth. Is that it? And here's the great news for the Christian who desires, or rather who dies in the Lord. That not only will we know God in a supreme way, but this knowledge that we have of God will produce everlasting happiness. That's the link. This knowledge that we have of God will make us happy. And not happy just for a season, for a year or two, but make us happy for all eternity. Forever, you will be happy because of this knowledge of God. As I said, Pastor Antonio has preached wonderfully two sermons about happiness. And the essential message of both sermons was for us to loosen our grip on thinking that our ultimate happiness is found in earthly things. And to tighten our grip on the ultimate good. Oh, how we need to hear that. Loosen our grip, not meaning that we don't and cannot enjoy things of this world. But not place a value on the things in this world in such a way where our children, money, our occupation, our phones, 
whatever we do, is our life. These external things are not our life. And we are to loosen our grip on all of these imperfect temporal happinesses. Enjoy them, yes. But cling on to them, no. Look to our holy God, who is the only one capable and able to give us what our temporal and earthly goods can never give us. Happiness forever. Happiness forever. The bold claim of this great doctrine is that the one who will bless us with this great vision is the one who will we will enjoy for all eternity. We will enjoy God for all eternity. You see, I don't think we question that God is the ultimate good. Rather, the Christian, let's just say the Christian, I don't think the Christian questions whether God is the ultimate good. I, I think if we took a poll, you might have 80 to 90% of Christians saying that, yeah, God is the ultimate good. Ultimate happiness is found in God. But for us in this life, I think the problem, or rather the issue is, it's hard for us to find ways in which God is so much better than the imperfect happinesses in this world. Again, not many Christians will say, because partly it's a Christian thing to do, yes, God is the ultimate good, and in God I'll find ultimate happiness. But what Christians might not be able to answer is, but how is he better than going to Disneyland? Meaning my experience in, in going to Disneyland and doing all that they do is not comparable to seeing God and knowing him. As Pastor Antonio said in his sermons, the Christian may say, how is God more enjoyable than eating those ten chocolate chip cookies? Now I know the cookie spots. The real good cookie spots. And still yet, God is so much better than my favorite cookie spots. But how? It's hard for us to reconcile that. Let's just take off our Christian hat for a moment. It's really hard for us to reconcile that. Or eating pizza. Or eating the greatest hamburger. How is the enjoyment of God in heaven and just knowing him better than Disneyland? I'm a big, I say Disneyland, I'm a big Disneyland fan. Or going to the beach. What do you mean when you say that in heaven, the Christian will have infinitely more happiness than he does when he sees his firstborn child. What do you mean that the Christian will have infinitely more happiness than the groom seeing the bride for the first time on their wedding day? That doesn't make any sense. Or reading a good book. Or the happiness of being with great friends. You mean to say that in heaven, I will be more happier than anything that I have experienced here on earth? Is that what the Christian, the preacher, is saying? You mean to say that knowing God perfectly, intuitively, clearly, and immediately is better than being at Disneyland, better than being at the Dodger game, better than eating those ten chocolate chip cookies, 
better than all these things that the world has to offer? And the tradition and the word of God has said undoubtedly yes. Yes. In fact, the tradition will even go on to say, and the word of God, I believe, will even say that, well, if you think those things are better, you don't even know what goodness is. You have no even idea of what goodness really is. I grant, though, that this is a bold claim that the, that the Christian tradition has made, that the Word of God says that in heaven, knowing God in a way that we can't know Him in this life is enough to keep us supremely satisfied and happy for all eternity. That's enough. We want to examine that this afternoon. What is the link between heaven and knowing God perfectly and that being the reason why we're happy forever? That's what we're going to examine. Again, what's the link between knowing God and being happy forever? Because that's that's the hard question to answer, right? We know that if someone says, you're going to go to Magic Mountain, we know that we're going to have a good time. We have an expectation of happiness within us. You tell me we're going to in and out There's going to be an expectation of happiness that I will have. But what's that? How do, how do we anticipate? And how, we, how where do we find the link between happiness and just simply knowing God? As Pastor Antonio said in his sermons, we were made for happiness. We were made for happiness. Man, by nature, desires the good. The great church father, Augustine, said, St. Augustine said, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. There's a, you could say, God-shaped hole in everyone's life, in everyone's heart. And everyone's always, you think of Pastor Antonio's analogy, everyone's trying to put different things in this hole or basket and fill their basket up so that they can have perfect and complete happiness. We are people constantly seeking the good and seeking happiness. In fact, this is why we do all that we do. I'm just reiterating what Pastor Antonio said. We all move and act for an end. And we all move for an end that will make us happy and ultimately possess the good. You see, we don't merely just want to experience the good. We want to possess the good. We don't just want money to spend it. We want to actually see and own money. But as we learn from Pastor Antonio's sermons, nothing but God, nothing but God can be our final and ultimate good. Now, why is that the case, though? What qualifies God as being the ultimate good and our ultimate happiness? What qualifies him to be better than everything that this world has to offer? Congregation, when we consider the good, there are three categories in which we say something is good. First, there's external goods. Second, there are goods of the body and soul. And then third, there's the supreme good, which is God. Let me just say, you know all this already by experience. I'm really just telling you nothing that you don't already experience. First, why can't external goods bring us everlasting happiness 
Why can't external goods bring us everlasting and ultimate happiness? Pastor Antonio has already spoken of this. Let's just get a little bit more into the nuts and bolts. External goods are things like wealth, money, things like fame, power, material objects. These are external goods. Let's examine wealth. Well, money is something that many of us love to have. Many believe that it will bring them ultimate happiness. But congregation, money, wealth, can't bring us everlasting happiness. It can bring us temporal and imperfect happiness, but not happiness that lasts forever. Because wealth is a means. Money is a means. That is to say, money is used to buy stuff, to buy things. So it is not the money that we enjoy. It's the things that the money can buy that we enjoy. Not money per se. Money is neutral. It's neither good nor bad. Money can be used to buy bad things. It can be used to buy good things. But what we want most is not green paper, but we want what the green paper can give us. And in that case then, Happiness cannot be found in money. But rather, happiness can only be found in whatever money could buy. Let's say cars, clothes, food. That's where happiness should be found. Not in money. Because money can't be, or can't bring ultimate happiness because it's a means. Money itself cannot be our ultimate happiness. Because money is used to buy objects. Which one may say, then, well, if that's the case, then why can't Owning a lot of cars, owning a lot of houses, having a lot of clothes bring us everlasting happiness. As many experience in this world today, the minute you buy a new phone, what happens? The very second you buy a new phone, I'm like this. I'm already on my new phone trying to figure out when the newest phone will come out. And as soon as I buy a phone, it already says next year the new one's coming out. What happens then? My happiness goes away. I feel like I've actually lost something. Cars will eventually break down. Homes will eventually be destroyed. But on a deeper level, the old saying is true. What your mama and grandma said was true to you. You can't take your stuff with you. You can't take your stuff with you. I wish my sister was here because I was going to look at her, especially during this point. But my father had many things, specifically cars. And if it was his choice, I'm sure he would, you know, God was to tell him, you're going to die this Monday morning. He would probably say, okay, I'm going to leave my cars to, you know, this one, this one, this one. But if you were to ask him, he probably would say, no, I'm not leaving my cars to anyone. I'm going to make sure that I'm going to make sure my cars are with me in heaven somehow, some way. My father was like that. You see, my father prized his cars. But once he died, was the car itself still prized? No. The El Camino that he left me is now collected a lot of dust. The GMC 1950 pickup that my sister took 
is now being used for to put stuff on in the bed. The Mercedes that he had doesn't even run no more. The other one that he had, none of us know how to drive sticks, so I don't even know how that's going to work. That is to say, the things that he desired on earth are not the things that the next generation will desire on earth. You see, generational wealth only lasts for a moment. It might last even maybe tops four generations. And then it's no longer, no more. But what about fame then? Can fame bring us happiness? This next to money is a top desire for many in this world today, is it not? The, the, the chase for glory and recognition is it's not something that we only see in the, in the world saints. But also we see in Christians today as well. Most especially in Reformed Christians. The chase for someone to recognize their name because of what degree, what school, what they know. Desiring their name to be great. Well, fame and a great name can't bring us ultimate happiness. And no matter how many followers you have on Instagram, no matter how many likes you get on Twitter, no matter how many friends you got on Facebook, none of that, saints of God, can bring you ultimate happiness. For just given the right story, all of your fame will go down the drain. We see this all the time, right? When someone dies, a story comes out, and we start rethinking that person's life here on earth. That person is no longer who we thought they were. You see, fame cannot be our ultimate happiness because fame can be taken away in just a moment, in just a second. We can apply the same thing to power. All external goods cannot constitute our ultimate happiness. Rather, they're just temporal goods. They're just here for the body, or for, the, for this time. But what about goods of the body and soul? Goods of the body and soul. Can something like bodily pleasure bring us ultimate happiness? We all enjoy food. I'll be the first to raise my hand. We all love good food. We all enjoy seeing mountains and various beauties in creation. We all enjoy the smell of fragrances. Yet all of these goods cannot bring us ultimate happiness on a number of levels. Let's take, for example, Pastor Antonio's example that he used in his sermon on the ten cookies. I'll play devil's advocate a little bit with that. But let's take that for example. When one eats one cookie, their sense appetites of pleasure are being satisfied. Their sense appetites being, you know, touch, see, taste, smell. There's a certain desire that we have in our senses, right, to taste good food, smell good things, see good things. When we eat a delicious cookie, chocolate cookie, if you like chocolate cookies, something about you is being satisfied. And in order to sustain the happiness of one of eating one cookie, what do we do? We eat another. And in order to sustain that happiness, we eat another. And then we eat another. And let's just say, Pastor Antonio, that we don't get a stomachache. Let's just say we just eat three cookies and we're fine. No stomachache at all. Let's just say one eats three chocolate cookies and is satisfied. 
We were pleasured bodily. But saints, this still can't mean that we have found ultimate happiness. Because the second you eat your last cookie, the very second you eat your last chocolate chip cookie, the sense of the pleasure of seeing, touching, smelling, and tasting the cookie all went away. And now what you have left is just a memory of what you ate. But you can't put the taste, the smelling, the texture, all of these things we experience when we're eating a cookie, you can't put it in a bottle. And then when we want to experience it, we take it out and we do what we do with it. No, once it's gone, it's gone. In other words, what you experienced the moment you ate the cookie can't stay with you forever. And the reason, saints, is because bodily pleasures only perfect a part of us, which is the lowest part of us, which is the part that you share with your dog and with your cat. Meaning this, saints, if our final and ultimate end was for us to find pleasure in eating food, then our final and ultimate end would be no different than the animals. Does that make sense? That if our final happiness is just in eating and tasting and seeing, that we would be no different than animals. Dogs like chocolate. You don't have to give it to dogs, but dogs will eat chocolate. Dogs like good food. But we can't say that the things that we share in common with my dog and my cat are the very things that bring me ultimate happiness. Because God made us higher than the animals. He made us higher than plants. Which leads to then, and I can go down the list on more, but this leads to God being our ultimate happiness. I took wealth and power and fame. We all experienced that. I took food and seeing things and all that. We, we, we all experienced that. And I said, no there and no there. And the reason why is because <clears throat> these things here, tasting, touching, seeing, and th- these things here, money, power, fame, do not hit the bullseye which will make us happy forever. It doesn't hit what's most unique about us. In order for us to be happy forever, our minds and our wills need to be satisfied in such a satisfaction that will never fade away. We need essentially our minds, our our intellects, and our wills to be satisfied. This thing is what we find in God and the vision that we have of him upon death. Now you may ask, well, why do we need our intellect and will satisfied? Why only our intellect and will? Why would that bring us ultimate happiness and not our senses? The reason why, saints, is because our intellect, that by which we know, and our will, that by which we desire, is where we are made in the image of God. If you were to say, how are you made in the image of God? You don't say, as I did when I was younger, well, I have my nose, I think, is kind of like God's. Kind of. I think I got God's. I literally used to think like that. I got some. I got some God in me in my eyes. No, 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 no. It actually is much more deeper. 
is that God has given you an ability to think thoughts after him and desire things like he does. Your intellect and your will is what makes you in the image of God. Man by nature then desires to know the truth. Man by nature desires to know the cause of things. Meaning man is constantly asking the question why in order to obtain the cause of all things. We see this in young children. My son Malachi has just learned the question, the, 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 the word why. It's very annoying. But he's curious. And when he says why, it's a testimony that man by nature wants to know the cause of things. Not the effects, but the cause. Why is this the way that it is? At a young age, young children acquire into the why of something. The reason we go to school is because we hope that it will teach us something about the why of all things. What keeps us invested while we are watching a good movie? My, my wife, Leela, I wasn't going to say this, Leela, sorry. You know, you won't be, you won't be sad. She loves to watch these um, mystery uh, uh, shows, right? You know, where they, they kill, kill someone in the, in, in the beginning and then you have to figure out what happened, you know. You figure out the end. I asked her this too. Why do you watch these things? It's because I want to know the cause. I want to know the reason. We see this in movies that we were invested in. We also see this preeminently when we're going through suffering. When you're going through suffering and trials, what do you say to yourself? Why am I going through this? What is the cause of this? As created in God's image. We were created then with intellects to know the cause of things and our wills to desire the truth. And once we know the truth, aren't we delighted in it? Once we know the cause of things, aren't, isn't there some sort of delight and joy that comes upon us? This principle is most preeminently found in the Christian. Every Lord's Day, our minds are flooded with truth. From the scriptures read, to the prayers, to the hymns sung, to the sermons preached. And saints of God, and thank you for this morning for all the wonderful responses you had to the sermon. What, What is your response? It's delight. It's joy. It's pleasure. It's happiness. What we experience here in a worship service today, congregation, is but a mini picture Of what we will experience in heaven when we see God. I'm not saying a service. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you as an individual. When you know something of God. What happens? You delight in it. Pastor Antonio right now. Nodding his head yes. There's a certain pleasure that he's found in what I just said. Many of you nodding your head yes. And amen. There's a certain delight within you. Because of what I'm saying. In the vision of God then, man's search for truth, man's search for the cause of all things will come to an end. For our minds will be flooded with God's thoughts in a way that he knows things. In this blessed vision, our minds will be satisfied in knowing God to the highest possible degree that we can know him. For in knowing him, we will know the ultimate cause of all things. We will know the reason for all things. All of our questions of why will be answered. 
We will no longer use our minds to think or reason the supernatural truths of the faith. But rather, we will rest in what God gives us to know. That is why we won't be learning in heaven. Now here, stay with me. In the manner in which you learn now, you learn now from your practical intellect, meaning that something comes in your mind and you have to deduce and you have to reason to a conclusion. But rather in heaven, what you will know, you will not reason. You will rest in and contemplate it. And it will be ever fresh, ever new. Think of your experience every Lord's Day in corporate worship. It doesn't have to be me. I won't be mad if you say it's not me. But think of the best sermons you've heard in the past. I mean, I'm talking about the best sermons. The ones that from start to finish, you were amen in. Now think of the joy and the peaceful delight you had. As you are listening to that best sermon you ever listened to, your mind is being raised by the supernatural truths of the faith. You're being elevated. Think of all the times you said amen in the sermon. All the times when the preacher made you cry. All the times when you nodded yes to the preacher. All the times when you got lost in the wonder of what the preacher was saying. And the sermon was so good that you did not want it to end. Think of those times. Do we do you have those times, congregation? But sadly, saints, ministers are not imperfect interpreters of God's truth. We're not. Sadly, preachers preach God's thoughts, but we ourselves are limited in what we truly know. But here's the amazing thing. In light of preachers not being perfect interpreters, in light of preachers preaching God's thoughts, but in a way that doesn't truly capture all that he is, even in light of that, you still find joy. And you still find delight and you still find pleasure. You still amen. Even me right now, a finite creature, as best as I can, trying to try my best to preach the loftiest of loftiest sermons I've ever preached. You're still you're still delighted. And you're still happy. Saints of God, if even my small, if even Pastor Antonio's small, finite, limited knowledge of God's thoughts brings you joy, can you imagine? Can you imagine when God floods your mind to know him perfectly? Can you imagine the joy you'll have? You, again, you have joy now. But you have it from a fallible uh, source, a limited source. But imagine when your source comes from directly God. Imagine the joy you'll have. With perfect interpretation, without error, God will flood your mind to know. In this great vision, God will unite himself to our minds, and we will know all truth without the presence of sin. But also, more importantly, especially in a corporate worship service, without the limitations of our body. Without the limitations of our body. Again, think of your experience each Lord's Day. Some of us have worked 
long hours, Monday to Saturday. Some of us come in barely hanging on a string. Some of us come in from going to sleep so late Saturday morning. And it affects you. Some of you fall asleep during a sermon. Some of you might look a little bit uninterested during the sermon. That's not primarily a fleshly thing, as if there's some sin indwelling within you. You're just tired. And what's happening is, although your mind and will is open to receiving God, your body's betraying you. Your body's betraying you. Your intellect is open and says yes, but your body says no. How many times when you wanted to keep reading, but you just couldn't because you're just too tired? How many times when you're on your knees and you wanted to keep praying, but you couldn't because your knees hurt too much? How many times have we wanted our blessed Roth to come to service, but he just couldn't because his body doesn't allow him to? How many times you wanted to come to corporate worship, but you couldn't because your body was saying no to you, although your mind and will was saying yes. Your body had a struggle, a stronghold on you. Our bodies at times keeps us, congregation, from fully contemplating God's truth. But in heaven, but in heaven, when we see God, this will not be the case. For our bodies will not roll over us when we receive our bodies, of course. Will not roll over us as it once did. Our bodies will not hinder us from the worship of God. Our bodies, congregation, or rather our souls, will not be subject to our bodies any longer. But rather, our bodies will be subject to our souls. Whatever our intellect, whatever our will commands, the body will say yes. The body will say yes. And the body will not betray us. The body will not fall asleep when we are singing to God. The body will not fall asleep when we're contemplating God. In heaven, we will offer to God perfect worship. For we will know him as perfectly as we possibly can. And we will love God with a flame of love that will never quench. You see, in heaven, you will offer to God perfect worship. Right now, because of the virtue of religion, you are giving to God back to him what he's given to you. That is life, breath, and all things. You give to God what he gives to you. You give to God all of who you are. But oh, how we do it so imperfectly. In heaven, though, we will offer perfect worship to God. Perfect worship to God. We will sing to God without the presence of someone saying, that person's voice is trash. And they should not be singing. We will sing to God without wondering, or rather, uh, not liking the hymn. We will worship God fully, and completely, and perfectly. This saints will last for all eternity. The common question is this. Will we be bored in heaven? You get that a lot. Will we ever be bored in heaven? But to say that there's a possibility of being bored in heaven is to say that God himself can be bored. To say that we can be bored in heaven is ultimately to say that God can be bored. You see, this perfect blessedness, this perfect beatitude, 
This happy state that we will be in is nothing other than a participation in God's very own blessedness. It's not something apart from God. You actually participate in God's own blessedness. So when we say that we'll be happy forever, you will have the very same happiness that God has had in himself for all eternity. That is why you'll never be bored. Because the blessedness you receive is God's own blessedness. You see, God delights in knowing himself. And we will have the same delight in knowing God. Will we ever be bored? No. We'll actually be most alive. We'll be most alive in heaven. What this means, saints, is that in heaven, we will never say, is this all that it is? We will never say, even at my, you know, when I go to Disneyland, is this it? Is this all that I have can experience here? One theologian says the first instant of the beatific vision lasts forever, like eternal morning, eternal spring, eternal youth. Congregation of joy in heaven has no expiration date. It is not like the imperfect goods of the world. Rather, God himself is the supreme good that doesn't have something better that's beyond him. You see, that's the problem with external goods. Is that as great as those ten chocolate chip cookies are, there's something beyond those ten chocolate chip cookies that are better. As great as Disneyland is, there's something beyond Disneyland that's better. In every single external good, there's always something, rather, there's always a good that's beyond. But with God, there is no goodness in back of God. There is no goodness to the side of God. There's no goodness on the way. The moment you die is as good as it's going to get. <clears throat> One theologian has summed this up well. Once had this supreme good puts an end to the quest of happiness because it cannot slip from our fingers. It cannot dry up and blow away. It cannot decrease or cease to be essentially what it is. We cannot get tired of it. There is nothing else that can tempt us from it. One theologian says, The saints in heaven, seeing God face to face, love him above all things. And this, and this is what I love. Because they see with the most perfect evidence that God is better than all creatures combined. You want to know how good God is? When you see God, you will see firsthand how and why God is so much better than every single thing that you've ever experienced here on earth. This knowledge will produce perfect happiness. Now, before we close, two questions we want to answer, just two. First, how is this vision made possible? How can we see God? We are, we are finite individuals who only can know things on a humanly level. The claim for the beatific vision is that we will know the infinite God in our maximalist capacity. How is this the case? How can we know God without being destroyed? The answer, saints of God, is God's grace. The answer is God's grace. God raises our intellect 
by the light of glory. He raised our intellect by the light of glory. And by strengthening our intellect, he prepares us to see him. That's what happens. That upon death, your intellect is strengthened by the light of glory and is prepared to see God. You see, in this life, there are three lights. There is the light of nature, which knows God as one. There's the light of faith. You have that. Which knows God as Trinity. But when you get the light of glory, you will know God as he is. It will be a graduation from God as one, God as Trinity, which is a made-up word, Trinity. You will know the great I am. God as he is. This light of glory is not a medium by which we will see God. There can't be no mediation. It's just us and God. Our intellect and God. This light of glory is not a created image or concept. It is not God's likeness infused into our minds. But rather, this light of glory is merely a strengthening of the soul. Strengthening of the soul. God uses the light of glory to strengthen our intellect and will. Even further than the light of faith. In order to know him and love him perfectly. As I contemplated this, saints, I was struck with this great knowledge that, and thought that we all know, but it came more apparent to me, is that from start to finish, it's all of grace. From start to finish, from the very moments of God keeping us, to the very moments of conversion and God saving us of grace, to the very moments of us seeing him, it's all of grace. He gives to undeserved people things that they don't deserve, but oh, they desire. All of your salvation, from beginning to end, is all of grace. Secondly, and I was going to do a whole sermon on this. Depending on the faces I get, I might. Where does Jesus Christ fit into the picture? We've been talking a lot about seeing God face to face, and merely that's or that's just merely that is the divine essence, who is the Holy Trinity. But what about our Lord? Does Jesus Christ, the one who saved us, have any role in this vision? What's his role? And in fact, saints, I will do that. We will consider that next week. We will consider the role of Christ and the role he plays in the heavenly vision of God. Let's close, saints of God, with the words of St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.9. But just as it is written, things which I has not seen or ear has not heard and which have not entered the human heart, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Let's pray.